0: April 19th, 1775, the Revolutionary War begins with shots fired at Lexington and Concord in Massachusetts. June 7, 1776, Richard Henry Lee introduces a motion in a meeting of the Continental Congress that the United States is and should be declared free from ties to Great Britain. July the 2nd, 1776, the Continental Congress votes to declare independence from Great Britain, formally adopting the Lee Resolution. The next day, John Adams writes in a letter to his wife that the second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable day in the history of America. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. July 4th, 1776, the Continental Congress approved the final wording of the Declaration of Independence after it went through 81 changes. They'd been working on it for a couple days after the draft was submitted on July 2nd and finally agreed on all the edits and changes. July 4th, 1776 became the date that was included on the Declaration of Independence and the fancy handwritten copy that was signed in August, on August 2nd. So when people thought of the Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1776 was the date that they actually remembered and now we celebrate even to this day. Do you know what it took? Do you understand what it took to get to the point of independence? Independence? It's pretty simple to say, but pretty hard to understand and fully grasp. It took war and men working together. It took men and women of, of battle, who, who went to battle, and sacrificed, and giving up their lives for our independence, and it took people working together to say, we're going to break apart from Great Britain, and the stories that are told, the people who did that, of their houses being ransacked, and their houses being burned, and people's lives that are being taken, we forget all those things here some 200 years later. This weekend, we celebrate our independence of freedom as a nation this weekend. However, I want you to understand that truly victory and independence is much larger than that. And it's much larger than that when you understand who Jesus is. We've been on the, looking at Jehovah names of God this summer, trying to dive in and understand the deeper meanings of God, trying to understand that there's so much more. When you say God and you unpack the name of God and you dive into that, He has several names and His names describe His character and we're trying to grasp that larger understanding because we have the larger understanding of who God is. Then we will have a tendency to want to understand and go deeper and have a more intimate and a more uh, uh, precise relationship, so to speak, with God. Week one, we look at Jehovah Jireh that the Lord will provide. And that sometimes we try to provide stuff for ourselves that only the Lord can provide. And we need to do what we can do and then trust Him to do what He will do in terms of being our provider. Week two, Jehovah Shalom, is about the Lord, our peace. That we will not have peace in our life until we know God as Jehovah Shalom. Week three last week was Jehovah Roy, the Lord, our shepherd. That he wants us to stay within his flock and live within his kingdom so that he will shepherd and guide and protect us. Today, I want to tackle Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. The Lord, our banner. When we understand God, we will truly then start to understand and be able to grasp freedom. Turn your Bibles to Exodus 17. Exodus 17, as we look at this great Old Testament passage, this story, let me give you the background as we turn there. God had brought the Israelites out of Egypt. He led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at nighttime. He miraculously parted the Red Sea as they were being pursued um, for, for their lives. And God told Moses to lift up his staff. And, and if he lifted up his staff again, this time God made the waters actually close together, come together on every single Egyptian who followed the Israelites into the Red Sea. And God does this miraculous thing to rescue them by parting the waters, taking them across on dry land, and then destroying the Egyptian army as they pursued the Israelites. Soon the people, though, begin to grumble against Moses and Aaron because they were hungry. And God provides manna from heaven and quail for them to eat. They're like, we're starving, hungry. And God says, boom, here's food for you. More than enough for everyone and more than enough you'll ever need. They come to this area known as Repidim. Look at this picture. They come to this part of the desert. This is one angle of that area where they would have been at, and there was no water to drink. Can you imagine being in that picture? Can you imagine being in that scene? You're in a hot desert land surrounded by rocks, and they're thirsty, and the people begin to grumble again. And God told Moses to take his staff and strike the rock, and water would come out of it. Now, I understand, and you probably understand too, because you've seen it where water will flow over rocks, and water will flow in between rocks, But water does not come out of rock. Even when you're driving up and down, say, the bluegrass parkway, and you see water flowing down the rock, it's either going over it or it's coming in between it, but it's not actually coming out of the rock. And so it would take a supernatural thing to happen to have water come flowing out of the rock. Just this instance of having manna and quail fall from the sky, that wasn't enough for the people. And so they grumble and they complain and they want more. And even in this, they had the audacity to ask, Where's God in all of this? I mean, you stop and think about it. They're being pursued. He rescues them, takes them through the Red Sea on dry ground, gets to the other side. Then they say, we need food. He provides food. Where's God in all this? this? There's a question they're asking. In Exodus 17.7 says, And Moses called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying... Is the Lord among us or not? Even though God's hand had provided for them several times, they're still asking a question, where is God? Water water was the least of their worries, as we're going to see. They were about to go to war. And water was a very small thing as they're facing war. We pick it up in verse 8. Listen to the text and follow along. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua... Choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I'll stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage." Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Her found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne, so now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. Bow your heads with me. Father God, we just ask, that You would use this text in our minds and our hearts today for us to further understand You, for us to deepen our walk with You, for us to grasp the freedom that comes, the victory that comes when we walk under the banner of God Almighty, Jehovah Nissi. Lord, open our minds to understand that. Father, this text is so rich with meaning, so rich with direction about how to live life in freedom, how to live life in victory. Lord, help us to understand grass and live that out today may your word be alive and active in this place today in the name of Jesus we pray amen remember the people the people had been griping about the food and the water that God had provided they've even questioned God saying is the Lord among us questioning Moses is the Lord among us is the Lord with us and then verse 8 says then Amalek came and fought Israel at Repidim and so this battle takes place and in this context of this story this this happening, what took place. I think there's six spiritual truths I want you to grab onto today. Spiritual principle number one is this. Don't gripe on what God gives you or where He is. Sometimes we walk through challenges they do just like they were. They were griping and complaining and suddenly found themselves facing a war. Our nation is spiritually bankrupt right now. We are spiritually broken. We are in a war right now. Have you stopped to consider the war? We think about the war and we think about what? We think about ISIS? We think about someone coming and blowing up some airport or blowing up some bar in Florida and we think that's the war. i got to tell you, that's not the war. It's a war. It's a byproduct of the war that we're in. But the war we're in right now is between God and Satan and we're in the middle of that. The war we're in right now is a spiritual battle where Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy See, they had their mind on the here and now. They had their mind on, I need food. They had their mind on, I need water. And all along, they didn't know the Amalek was coming to go to war to destroy them. And we do the same thing. I need this right now. Oh no, this is on the news right now. When all along, our eyes have been closed to the spiritual battle and the war going on around us. Who's Amalek? He's the grandson of Esau. Esau was one of his sons of Isaac and a grandson of Abraham. And verse 9 says, So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And so they sent people to go fight in battle while Moses basically was out saying, I'm holding on to God while you guys go fight in combat. Here's what Tony Evans writes about this text. He says when Moses said he would go to the top of the hill with the staff of God in his hand, he was referring to a simple shepherd's crook. But this staff was significant because it had been sanctified. This is the same staff that had turned into a snake, ushered in the plagues, and opened the Red Sea. Through it, God used the natural to perform the supernatural. And God brought victory to the Israelites in the battle against Amalek as long as Moses continued to hold up the staff. This battle wasn't decided by those who were fighting the winners and losers returned by their own skill or power rather the key was moses's posture with the staff of god could he keep it raised or would it be lowered how the armies fared in the valley wasn't tied to their education to their finances to their notoriety. instead it was inextricably tied to what moses did on the mountain gotta tell you we're in a battle And it's inextricably tied to how we lift up our hands to God. How we grab onto the coattails of God. How we lift up our hands and say, God, I need you to fight this battle. Spiritual principle number two is this. No one can achieve victory alone impossible to achieve victory alone. Moses got tired, and he couldn't keep his arms lifted up towards heaven. And if any of us were to stand here for even five minutes, we'll be like, my arms are getting a little bit tired. You start feeling the blood rushing. Your arms should get tingly. Your shoulders get tired. If the victory was dependent upon him alone, they would have lost. If it was dependent upon Moses standing there during the whole battle, they would have lost because Moses would have worn out. But Aaron and Ur stepped in. And a big way to help. As long as Moses held the staff up, the Israelites would be winning. Staff started to sink or started to lower. They would start to lose. But when his arms got tired and lowered staff, and they started to lose the battle. Verse 12 says, So they took a stone and put it under him. He sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Do you know... How long Moses held his arms up in the air? You've got to see this. Verse 9. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with a staff. Of God in my hand. So when he's referring, they're planning one day, but tomorrow basically starts in the morning as the sun's coming up. And so they would have gathered and said, you're going out to battle, we're going up to the hill. Now verse 12 says, and they held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until going down to the sun. He was holding his hands up all day long. All day long, from sun up to sun down. So they would stay in the battle with the help of Aaron and her, not by himself. There's no way he could have done it. So he's sitting on a stone, having his hands held up by some buddies, by some friends who are helping him. I got to tell you something we need your help here at Center Point. We need you to be part of the battle. We need your help to hold the hands up of the body of Centerpoint Christian Church. Not just once a week, not just once a month, not just once a year. We need you to hold our hands up every day, every week, every month of every single year. And it's something that we do together. Something we pursue together. We need you to hold our hands up in prayer. We need you to hold the hands up of this congregation in giving. We need you to hold your hands up in participation and not just in pew sitting. See, we are in a battle, a spiritual battle, where Satan says, I come to kill, steal, and destroy. And the battle is so much bigger than anything we're seeing right in front of our face. It takes a bunch of us who says, I'm participating, and I'm holding my hands up. I'm holding up the hands of this body. i want to do my part. That's how I think the text applies to us today. We can't win without you no one of us can get the victory on our own we need to help each other in this spiritual battle and sometimes holding a hands up means i'm holding a hands up for someone in my small group i'm holding a hands up for my preacher i'm holding a hands up for my bible study leader i'm holding my hands up for my elementary leader for my junior high leader for my high school leader for those who are teaching in the preschool i'm holding the hands up for those who are going into the school systems carrying the name of jesus i'm going to hold the hands up for those who are business people carrying the name of jesus we got to hold each other's hands up in order to win the battle principle number 3 victory comes from the lord but that doesn't excuse us from the battle. See, we have to do all we can do in the circumstances and in the challenges and the trials and the battles of life. But we also need to realize that unless God is with us, victory will escape us. 2 Corinthians 6:1, Paul says the key is working together with Him. The Apostle Paul understood that. The great missionary who has written over half the New Testament planted multiple churches. He said, the victory only comes as I'm with him, with God. When the the Malchites came against the Israelites, it was an ambush. It was was a sneak attack. Here were the helpless Israelites. They're out in the wilderness, out in that desert, and everything they had was temporary. They didn't have an army. They never fought a war before. And here they're getting attacked. What were they going to do? I mean, what, what could they do? Some things you can't run from. They couldn't run from them. They couldn't run and hide. Neither of those strategies would have worked against the kemalites None of them. And so they had to face what was going on. They could not turn. And it makes me think about Paul. When the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians about the armor that we wear and that all the battle armor that we wear, they all go on the front of us. None of it goes on the back of us. And I think Paul was saying, there are battles you're going to face against the evil one and you have to turn square on and face the battle that you're in. And there's no turning and running because Satan will come on us. when We don't even expect it. He will attack us like a sneak attack. Principle number four, there's no substitute for victory. General Douglas MacArthur was called home from Korea by President Harry Truman. He stood before Congress and he said, There is no substitute for victory. There's an alternative victory, defeat. But there is no substitute for victory. See, you're in a fight for your spiritual life, whether you know it or not, and whether you want to believe it or not. You're in a fight. Your family is under attack. Your children are under attack. Your marriage is under attack. Our church is under attack. This world is under attack. And there is no substitute for victory. There's only the choice of allowing it to be defeated. And Jesus didn't teach us to go along to get along. That's not what He taught us. He taught us to overcome the world. And worldly Christians are oxymorons. Truth be told, I think they're more moron than they are oxy. And I say that with grace as much as I can, but there are too many of us today, folks, that want to live a worldly Christian kind of life. Well, I'm a Christian, but I enjoy a whole lot of the world. I actually, worldly Christians, I think, are traitors. You said, I believe in the blood the death, the burial resurrection of Jesus, I want to embrace that new life, but I still want to hold on to my old life. When we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, we've said, well, I'm done with the old, I want the new. And we've also signed up for battle. We've signed up to fight against Satan. There really is no such thing as worldly Christian. That's like saying heavenly devil. It doesn't work. James 4.4 4 says anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. In other words, if you embrace the world and all the world has to offer, he says, you're against me. What are some are calling tolerance and understanding today? The Bible calls it sin and compromise. That's what it's called. It's not being understanding and being tolerant. You can't have peace with the world and the flesh and the devil. You can only have peace when you overcome the world and the flesh and the devil. That's when peace comes. Too many of us want to embrace this world, embrace the flesh of this world. Worldly Christians want privileges without responsibilities, and they want promises without commandments. They want to know, how far can I go before it becomes sin? They want crowns without crosses. Worldly Christians, they want peace without having to pay the price for it. That's not possible. You can't conquer without a conflict. And Jesus conquered the cross, but there was conflict in that. There's no substitute for victory with the devil because he's a roaring lion and he's a raging liar. And this 4th of July weekend, there's bigger things to think about than lighting off the next firework or the next cookout that we're going to have. There's a battle that's going on. 2 Corinthians 11 4 says Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He makes things look real enticing. He makes things look really good. The devil slips in so gracefully and so quietly it seems almost unchristian to oppose him. Well, how could you say that? How can you believe that? How can you tell them they're doing something? How can you tell them that sin? Because that's what the devil does. We're being told in subtle, satanic, and secular humanist ways to be tolerant of everybody, to be accepting of everything. The spirit of compromise, the spirit of appeasement, and political correctness is poisoning the church, destroying God's work. There is no substitute for victory. Over the world, or the flesh, or the devil, Amalek had come out to war against the Israelites. This was the first nation attack. First nation attack after the Israelites had become out of Egypt. Exodus seventeen fourteen says the Lord said, "I'll utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven." And verse sixteen says the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. See what God was saying to Amalek was, I'm going to stay after you until I absolutely annihilate you. That needs to be our mindset. Absolutely annihilate, absolutely do away with Satan, absolute total victory. There's no substitute victory. You don't go to a surgeon and say, surgeon, I understand I got cancer. As long as you get 90% of it, I'll be happy with that. You say, I want 100% of it. I want it all out of my body. God doesn't want us to have anything except for absolute and total victory. Some are willing to settle for defeat, but that's not what the Christians should settle for. Willing to accept failure and content to be conquered, that's not what we should settle for. That's not what God wants. God wants us to have victory where Satan is attacking. Where is he attacking you today? How is he coming after you? Are you willing to stand up and say, Jehovah Nissi, you are my Lord, my banner? Principle number five, if we want victory, we need to rally under the banner of Jesus. Verse 11, Moses lifted his hands towards heaven and held the rod to God's hand. He was visibly demonstrating his dependence on God. See, when you're in worship and you lift a hand to worship or two hands to worship, you're saying, God, I depend upon you. God, I'm grabbing onto you. God, I'm holding onto you. God, I want to grab your hand. God, I want to grab your coattails. God, I want to trust you in this life. That's what Moses was doing. Moses was saying, right now, Lord, we're trusting you. Right now, Lord, we're putting it all in your hands. In verse 15, Moses built an altar and called the place Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. We serve a God of absolute victory. Our God is a God of complete, total victory. We have absolute peace because Jesus absolutely, absolutely defeated the devil on the cross. We've heard so much about how, how loving Jesus is. We've heard a ton about that. But we forget he was executed by Rome and considered to be too dangerous to even live. He was considered to be causing riots because he brought a different message. The organized church of his day called him a lunatic and a liar. And if people start calling you crazy because you're passionate about Jesus, people start telling you to shut your mouth because you're passionate about Jesus, people telling you, quit following, quit being so outspoken, that's when you should be excited because they did the same to Jesus. They wanted him gone. Jehovah Nisi issued the challenge of combat, actually, in Genesis 3.15 when he said, the seed of the woman referring to Jesus, would crush the head of Satan. I mean, God put the battle out there. He said, I'm coming after you, Satan. The Prince of Peace pulverized the Prince of Power of the air at the cross on Calvary's Hill. At the cross, Jesus said, it is finished because he had crushed Satan's head. The church needs to start acting like victors instead of victims. It's time for the church in America to stand up and trust in Jehovah Nisi. Why? Because we are following Jehovah Nisi, the Lord of our victory is what it means. The Lord of our victory. We are marching behind the banner of the cross. See, we look at the cross and many times we think about the cross and we think it's a symbol of death. We think it's a symbol of salvation. But ultimately, it's a symbol of victory. It's a symbol that God won the war. It's a symbol that Jesus defeated Satan in the grave. It's a symbol of life when you believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're to be warriors, not wimps. Too many of us Christians, I think, have been backed in the corner where we just shut our mouths and just put up with what's going on in our society or what's going on with our family because we've backed in and we've become too wimpy. Ephesians 6.12 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Most Christians stop right there with we wrestle not. Like, I'm not going to get in that wrestling match. I'm not going to get in that debate. I'm not going to get in that argument. I'm not going to stand up and speak for Jesus. I'll just kind of take the quiet back seat. They don't want to believe there's a real devil or a real roar going on. They want to come to church, sing Amazing Grace, and then ignore the God they just sang about and deny that they were ever a wretch. Where are you at this morning marching with Jesus as our banner? Amalek came after God's people, the grandson of Esau. He hated Jacob. This was Israel's first war. How should they respond? Hold a peace conference? Put a committee together? Sign a treaty? Moses built an altar and called it Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. Moses built that altar and said, we will have victory because we're going to hold on to God. So Moses was saying, we're going to hold on to God and He's going to bring us to victory. God had promised a victory so complete in Exodus 17, 14 that even the archaeologists wouldn't be able to find anything left. They were going to annihilate every little bit of Amalek left. Spiritual principle number six, that God is a God of absolute victory. You go to First Samuel chapter fifteen. We don't have time to go through all that text, but it's some nine hundred years later, and God told Saul through Samuel, "Go destroy the Akimelites. And Saul didn't do it. He didn't completely destroy them. He adjusted God's plan a little bit and said, "Well, I got a better idea, God. Let's just kind of do it this way." So God made his own adjustment and got rid of him as king of Israel. He said, "You're not going to do it my way, then you're out." And God doesn't need us to adjust or to alter or to affirm His commands. He just needs us to obey them. In the church today, we're struggling to obey the commands of God. 1 Samuel 15, Samuel had King Agag brought to him, and he cut him to death with the sword. I would say that's not religious tolerance. That's obedience. That's saying God has spoken, and I will do what God tells me to do, We lived in such a tolerant society for so long, we've been duped into believing that go along to get along is the way to overcome evil. That's not what the name Jehovah Nisi means. It means you press on until you get the victory. It means you keep on praying. It means you keep on fighting. It means you keep on believing. It means you don't quit until the job's done. You don't settle for second best or you don't settle for almost the next best thing. You put your foot on the neck of the enemy and you say the victory is the Lord's. For some of you, you're walking through battles right now and you've given up praying. It's time to get back on your knees and pray some more. For some of you, you're struggling with some kids who have gone AWOL or your marriage that is in in the ditch or your job that is struggling or the disease that you're fighting or temptations you're trying to overcome or you're struggling with all the stress of this world. It's time to be on knees in battle and say, God, I'm going to keep on believing. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on trusting. I'm going to keep my hands reached out to you. Isaiah 11, the prophet Isaiah predicted that there would be one that would come along to be the banner for the Gentiles. That's you and me, the Gentiles. It says, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place will, of rest will be glorious. Made that promise that's coming, that Jesus was coming. John 12, 23, Jesus said, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. We've got to lift him up. As we lift him up, then he draws us to him. We rally around Jesus. He lifted us up, the banner of victory at the cross. It's time. For people of God to raise the banner here in Lexington and declare war on Satan. It's time for the people of God to raise the banner of Jesus in Kentucky and wage war on Satan. It's time for the people of America to raise the banner of Jesus and wage war. On Satan, it's time for us to quit sitting back and thinking being passive and just being agreeable is going to work. It's not working. The battle is raging. We need to rally around Jesus and His cross. Get a glimpse of Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. See, our world has turned into a madhouse and the inmates are running the asylum. Things are going absolutely crazy. Society says, get in step with the times. I think we got to say, absolutely not. We march to a beat of a different drummer. You need to be tolerant, accept same sex marriage and homosexual lifestyle. No, we do not. The LGBT community. You've got to accept them. You've got to love them. You've got to accept all their ways. It's all okay. Let me tell you and clarify where we stand as center point with that, in case you're wondering. We absolutely need to love people of the LGBT community. They are God's people. We do not need to love that sin that Satan has duped them into believing that's actually putting them in a trap and taking away their freedom. And so we welcome you here. If you're from an LGBT community, you believe and say, that's all okay, we want you to come to know Jesus. We don't have to accept abortion on demand and say that's okay. That's the way the world teaches Removing words of one nation under God from the Pledge of Allegiance, removing prayer from our schools, removing Ten Commandments from public places, or removing nativity scenes, and any mentioning names of Jesus from public life. We don't have to accept that. We're allowed to stand in victory and say, no, I still hold on to Jesus. Now, we may not win that battle right here, the argument right here. We're not about winning a battle here. We're about introducing people to Jesus. See, when you start believing all the lies that Satan has duped upon this society and brought to us, then you're actually being entrapped. And Jesus came to bring freedom. We need to put on our full armor put our swords out, and rally behind Jesus to get the victory. Jehovah Nisi, when David walked out in the face of Goliath, he didn't say, Goliath, you want to dance? He didn't walk out and say, hey, Goliath, can we just sit down and talk about this a little bit? He didn't come out with something gentle. He came out and said, I've come in the name of the Lord Almighty, and I've come to take your head off. So he said, the giant." We lost that attitude to say, I'm going into battle and I'm going to fight the evil one. We need to go for the victory every time, all the time. We need to be be more passionate and persistent. We don't need to quit. We don't need to give up. We don't need to walk away because that's what Satan wants us to do. Church, when you know Jehovah Nisi, you say, you know what, I'm going to fight. I'm going to stand up against our culture that tells us just be passive and let it all be and be tolerant and just accept everybody just exactly what they are and never ever mention the name of Jesus. We know Jehovah Nissi. we know I can stand up and speak the name of Jesus. Paul told Timothy, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Church, I want to encourage you, endure. This weekend we celebrate freedom of our country But as you're free in Jesus Christ, we need to endure because hardships are coming and will continue to come. And what's going on in our world, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Hold on to Jehovah Nisi. Fight in the battle to know that He is the Lord, our banner, and realize there is no substitute other than holding on to Jesus for victory. See, if you stand for the Lord, He'll give us victory today and tomorrow. And later this week and every day, He'll bring us victory in the midst of the battles we face. Heavenly Father, God help us to grab onto You Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner in the middle of the battles of this life. And yes, Lord, we have all kinds of wars and rumors of war going on in our society and beyond. But Lord, the bigger war is the spiritual battle of Satan who comes to kill, steal, and destroy Father God, would you open our eyes? Open our eyes to see where Satan is trying to kill, steal, and destroy in our own lives. Open our eyes so, Lord, we go to battle and we'll fight against him and we'll battle with Jehovah Nisi leading the way. God, for Satan wants to entrap. He wants to take away freedom. He wants to destroy. And God, we need to battle against him in prayer, battle against him in the Word, battle against him in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, give us the battle mentality, the victor mentality. It says, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to fight. Going for victory. God, we worship You and we honor You today. Lord, as we celebrate communion this morning, we celebrate from a place of victory. We think about the cross and it reminds us of the victory over the death, over the evil one, over Satan that you conquered the grave. And so, Lord, we honor you this morning as we partake communion together. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.